You're listening to She's Got Drive podcast, the podcast that inspires women to be the driver in their own life through the life and stories of black women who drive. And I'm your host, Shirley McAlpine. I'm a business consultant, an executive coach, and a leadership facilitator, working with people and organizations to live their lives by design and not default. Welcome back to another episode of She's Got Drive, and we are in the month of women. And that's this International Women's Day has just passed uh, last uh, on the 8th of March. And we are celebrating um, women this month and acknowledging how far we have come and how far we have to go. And uh, I've been attending different events this month to, that leaves me so inspired about who women are and really shining a light on black women and the inspirational work that they are doing. So I'm excited about my guests uh, today and then the next episode and be sharing some insights from the various um, events I've been going on uh, as part of the International Women's Month so far. So if you're not, you know, look around and see what else is out there that you can just tap into, be inspired, read blogs, listen and then trust that the message that you uh, need to hear is out there waiting for you with all these inspirational stories and even with the sharing the struggles and how to overcome the struggles. Uh, I wanted to um, remind you, invite you, request that you, uh, you know, if you're enjoying the show, to head over to iTunes and rate and review the show. Um, you know, let me know through through reviewing what you're getting from from She's Got Drive and uh, you know, what you're getting from the women and how it, and, and how what difference it's making to you in your lives. The more you rate and review, the more that it gets seen and then the more women that can be impacted, more black women can be impacted my outcome for this podcast is for individuals who are listening to really see things for themselves to develop themselves so they can be the best that they can be and fulfill their potential and that we go get to a point where we are collectively moving in the direction that we want to be in and that only happens when we can grow the show and to help me grow the show help me grow the show um one of the things that I know for sure is that w- if we are striving to be our best and to achieve our dreams we cannot do that alone it needs support it needs champions and it needs and it needs community for us to fulfill on what we say that we're up for in our lives and um so one development that i've just recently um done is to set up a closed facebook group i'm inviting you to join the the she's got drive closed facebook group and to create a community of women who want to be the best that they can be and have a collective conversation on how they do that and we support each other in accomplishing that. And that in the future, one of the things I want to do is start to do some Facebook live sessions so that there can be some coaching and some development that happens in those in that space as well. 
So the link is in the in the show notes. The the she's got drive clothes um, community page. Um, join the group, and uh, I look forward to seeing you on that page. Okay, this week's episode we have a woman called Renee Edwards. who is a director, an editor, a producer, and a writer. She's a multi-award winning filmmaker with over 25 years experience in all genres. For 15 years, Renee edited landmark current affairs series in the UK called Panorama, Dispatches, and Unreported World. She edited award-winning and nominated Panorama specials, one called The Mind Reader, which won the Medical Journal- Journalist Association Broadcast Document Award and the RTS winning the Hutton Inquiry. She's directed One Note at a Time, which is a film that's to be released in 2018. It has been awarded the film of the festival, the best feature documentary and the best score at the Oxford International Film Festival, the best documentary at the Nottingham International Film Festival, the best feature documentary at the Studio City International Film Festival, and at a Los Angeles Film Review Independent Film Awards Gold winner. The film documents New Orleans musicians and a clinic which helps to save their lives post-Hurricane Katrina. It was also officially selected for the New Orleans Film Festival, Louisiana International Film Festival, the GBFTE Goldsmith Edit Film Festival, Sync Up Cinema Film Festival, which is part of the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, and Santa Barbara Jazz Fest as well. You can hear it's been that film is really, really doing so well, winning all these awards, being acknowledged and being recognized. And we're going to hear. Um, just what it's taken for 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 Renee to 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 bring this project, this film to life. In addition to directing one note at a time, she consults on films editorially and for music. She's known for her speed as an editor while retaining her sensitivity to the subject matter and emotional heart of a film. She's written a children's novel which is part of a new brand that she's kind of developing and growing. That's going to be adapted for film and theatre. And in her teens, she was in the youth theatre in Leicester, her hometown. She is developing her next New Orleans-based le- feature documentary. It's um, it's really lovely as well to speak to a fellow Brit on the show. And so I give you Renee Edwards. Renee, thank you so much for being willing to be a guest on She's Got Drive this week. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I, I loved our previous conversation that we've had, you know, um, about the work we've been doing and um, your film, your personal journey in creating your film. And so I'm excited about us, us exploring that in this and then seeing what else shows up in, in our conversation together today. Okay. Why don't we start with you sharing with our listeners what you do, um, a little bit how long you've been doing it, and um, and what it means to be an editor to a film. I'm just kind of getting into 
some of that through my conversation with you, which is some surprising information for me about just how long it takes to produce something that's 30 minutes long in terms of what we watch. Yes. But what else? Yeah, to bring your work to life, really. Um, well, I went to film school, literally decided to go to film school when I was uh, um, in my late teens. And um, after that, um, uh, we sort of, you know, when we were at school, we were allowed to do, you know, obviously a bit of everything. And it was a time of when people were still editing on film and um, going a bit into editing on tape, well, on tape as well. Um, but certainly none of the non-linear um, computer uh, editing that we do these days. And when I left there, I wanted to make films. I wanted to direct films, drama. Um, and after that, I became, um, uh, I, I got a job. Uh, in a a company which made corporate films actually and I was there for three years and, mm -hmm. and again within that small company I was able to do lots of different things I was there as a, a producer's assistant um, and the producer left within a year and I was suddenly became a producer and so I was making corporate films which was um, for some reason which I'll never understand I suppose people must some people must have noticed that I was good at it or could do it or like what I, the way I did it uh, I was given a lot of editing work when I left and <laughs> um, and I was looking for assistant directing work really um, and I didn't know the thing is when you make films one kind of film then you move into another kind of filmmaking and the jobs may have the same name but actually they're different jobs or you have to learn a whole new set of skills or you know, there's just different implications, which is, you know, part of the fun and the challenge. But also, um, I, before I could sort of explore, explored becoming, you know, an assistant director on feature films or whatever it was, um, I was getting tons of editing work. During that, before it's all, before my career in editing took off, actually, um, one of the places where I used to work sometimes called uh, Spitfire Television, they were beta testing the Avid, which was like, you know, one of the first non-linear editing um, systems, which is still going. And they asked me if I would like to have to have a look at this new piece of kit. Um, so I went and had a go on it and I instantly fell in love with it. It was just amazing to be able to edit in a non-linear way. Um, so, you know, because obviously before, literally on tape, you would lay down a shot on a tape you know one shot then the next shot then the next shot then the next shot and every time you made changes you the quality was degrading and right. you know so you really had to think on your feet and you know obviously there's a brilliant kind of discipline within that but when you can suddenly edit you know pick something up from one place and just shove it down to another part of the program and just actually play a bit more right like you could on film but then film had its own you know um a certain pace that you you need to work so i think it was just the whole speed you know it's like obviously the difference between typing on paper and on a typewriter and actually being able to to edit on to write on the computer you know that we just take for granted now um and not have to you know start a new sheet of paper like in the shining when you're, <laughs> <laughs> when you're trying to tell a story or write a love letter or something not that you type a love letter but anyway so um i uh just yeah i loved it i i could see immediately how that would transform film making mm. films so he uh, actually offered me a job and I worked on it for a year. We were beta testing it for Avid over here. It was, um, I think there was one more machine here at the time at mm -hmm. the BBC. And um, so, yeah, that was it. 
Um, and then after that, of course, because I knew how to use that machine, I was offered a lot of work because people thought, well, she knows how to use the machine, we'll give her a chance with the editing <laughs> kind right. of thing. And then I just needed to prove myself with the editing. Um, so, And then um, after doing loads of films, um, a lot of documentaries, I was uh, invited to edit um, a News and Count Affairs film, which... I always thought it was a, a panorama, but found out recently actually it wasn't. But anyway, it was a two-hour film about the war in Kosovo, mm -hmm. and um, um, with Tom Giles, the um, recent one of the recent panorama series editors. And I went and did that, and um, I don't know. I think that just sort of blew my mind. Mm -hmm. It was just um, amazing to be working on something where they were still filming while you were editing, which I was just sort of unheard of to me because I hadn't done any current affairs before. You know, you we had used to have all the footage in the edit suite and then you make the film with it. Right. Um, and there I was, you know, we were cutting a film. We had a really tight deadline compared to what I was used to. Um, and they were still out filming on the last day of the edit. <laughs> <laughs> so it was hilarious. Um, and I, I stayed with it. I stayed in news and current affairs um, editing films for 16 years about 10 years ago I sort of thought I thought you were gonna direct when's that gonna happen you know mm. I'd done the odd short film and um, and uh, it was Hurricane Katrina had um, hit New Orleans and I've got family in New Orleans mm -hmm. and um, I had been there not long before that and I'd actually been to visit an aunt who um, was dying at a time of cancer and um, and we were chatting about she was talking about funerals and the funeral tradition in New Orleans and um, how you know obviously they've got the jazz funerals but they've also got various other funeral traditions mm -hmm. um, which she called sort of crazes that sort of happen and there was one at the time where she was like oh you know, I hope they don't do that to me, and da, 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 you know, all of this sort of laughing about it, you know, gallows humour, but she had a good sense of humour, and um, after Hurricane Katrina, you know, she'd passed away by then, mm -hmm. um, I was thinking about how the traditions in New Orleans had been affected, because obviously my, you know, my family had been affected, people, uh, my dad had moved away, and then he sort of made his way back by a Baton Rouge, mm -hmm. um, and um, I, yeah, I've just found myself wondering, particularly about the jazz funeral tradition, how that was that going to carry on. I don't know, just a sort of seed of an idea, really. Right. So um, started to talk to friends here, and I went over there. Um, we did some research. I went over there to talk to a, a family um, that owned a funeral own a funeral home mm -hmm. um, and there are five women um, who are part of who run the funeral home they're, they're in their sort of 50s or so at the time and I uh, thought oh that could be interesting you know do like a a documentary version of six feet under with right <laughs> looking out at the at New Orleans um, seeing you know what the situation was and what was going on uh, from this point of view and um, Anyway, when I went to talk to them, um, um, I don't know, there was, they introduced me to lots of people, actually. And during the course of the conversation, you know, people were saying, um, I spoke to somebody called um, 
Eric Cager. And he was saying, well, you know, obviously it's the whole music scene that's been devastated. Um, and, you know, we talked a bit about that and I sort of thought, I don't know, one thing that's led to another. We'd also been researching um, charities, what charities were, um, but, you know, were involved in bringing this city back and helping people. Um, and we, they are, they are included in the film. We did a lot of interviews and one of the interviews was with um, Bethany Boltman from the New Orleans Musicians Clinic. Mm -hmm. And um, the emphasis moved from more from, you know, one particular aspect of the uh, culture and the tradition to, uh, to more of a, a wider view of the music and they were looking after the musicians. So, you know, their um, mission was to keep New Orleans music alive right. and it seemed to resonate with you know with um, the whole idea of the documentary being you know connected with you know well um, healing and life and the state of the music at the time and um, you know what was going to happen to it how it was going to change or transform and literally how you know each musician that did come back how they were going to um take care you know survive really right. and obviously you know these are people who um you know music is their life it's not something that they do kind of thing you know they live and breathe it and um and they had come back to to you know carry on doing what they love doing, where they love doing it, right. and not everyone had come back, um, and you know everyone was anxious and well, not everyone, but a lot of people were you know obviously ill and in mourning um, for you know people and their mm -hmm. life, and um, so uh, we chose to make the film from the clinic instead and look out um, over you know. New Orleans from the clinic uh, with some of the musicians who were kind enough to be involved and I think the musicians felt that it would um, you know obviously help the clinic if a documentary were made about featuring the clinic okay um, and there were certain advocates of the clinic like um, Irma Thomas and Dr John and Kermit Ruffins and um, you know as many amazing musicians in the film they agreed to be interviewed for the film and um so there's a there are certain sort of voices in the film who sort of give you an overview if you like there's a dj um uh george ingmeyer who works for wwoz who well, volunteers wwoz and some other djs from there as well um but particularly george we went back to and, and filmed on several occasions and um and then there's this there's a um a few musicians who we actually followed on a closer basis, you know, their life and, mm. and their music. Um, over four years, just going back whenever we had the time and the money to do so. So the four years filming mm -hmm. um, and then four years editing and gaining between other work. And I added up how many weeks it took to edit and it was basically a year if, if it had been done right. non-stop. Right, wow. Although I've been to New Orleans, you know, since I was really young, um, my father, my dad had gone back there in the 60s and I heard, we'd gone back, we, my sister and I used to go for summer holidays and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, I think I was getting to know the city in a, in a different way by making the film and uh, certainly the music scene and I think I just became 
it became I felt like I lived there in a way you know mm. so it was a very much a home from home and then you start to have insights in in the place that you, you may not have. I mean it's good to a bit to look at someone you know to be someone who's sort of outside looking in but right. it's also good to be there and have an understanding you're not you know um you, you can ask people ongoingly whether they're part of the film or not about certain questions that are coming up in your mind um yeah there is something different about um sitting in the culture for longer yeah and being immersed in it a bit more yeah so understanding some of the cultural references that you might have missed maybe yeah if in the coming back and forth and then there's also the chance to you know ask <clears throat> and even in editing over a longer period of time as well to sort of ask questions and have you know people watch it and give you feedback we actually had a screening when the film was uh like 12 minutes longer than it is now <laughs> Which was it was too long. I didn't actually realise it was too long until we had the screening. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting watching it with that hundred people, thinking, "Oh, this is a bit long." <laughs> um, but it was brilliant because you know the, before we watched it, I was able to say, "You know, we haven't finished the film," and so you know your feedback is welcome. And um, and it was really brilliant. And you know, there's something about watching even. Like I've done lots of editing um, in this building where we are now, and I know that you'd sit in an edit suite with you, the reporter, and uh, the producer, you know, and you cut a film, and then as soon as someone else walks in the room and watches it with you, you just see it totally differently. It's like, <laughs> and, you know, you know just, oh, can you go out again so we can just make some changes? You know, right. you can't, but, you know, they come back and watch it again. But um, it was that feeling when you watch it, the more people you watch it with when it's not finished, you know, the more everything's just amplified okay so um it was brilliant to watch it and people you know they gave their feedback and i came back and made the changes what's it called and why did you name it that and and how's it been received so far in the professionally because it's been in film festivals and, and so on so forth. yeah so uh, the film is called one note at a time mm -hmm. um so that was referring to the you know rebuilding the music industry um, and people rebuilding their lives, their musical lives. I mean, obviously, there's a lot that went on during Katrina, but you know, we, that was our focus. Mm. Um, and you know, yeah, taking the time to do it, you know, as well as anyone could. Um, the film has been received well. Yeah, it's been received really well by. Um, the people who took part in the film and um, by you know people within the industry that have seen it so at the festivals it's uh, <laughs> it's it's been doing well at the festivals I mm -hmm. um it seems to get into about one in four festivals that now we have uh, sales agents so I'm thrilled about that and um, he's an LA based sales agent um, a little picture comp little film company Robbie Little and so we've moved on to the next stage now. It's um, we're looking forward to the film being released in 2018, and uh, we'll see. You know, so people can actually see it because <laughs> really, you know, it's only had about I don't know 15 screens or something. Right. So, um, but this is also part of the journey of a film that yes. um, for independent filmmakers, which we which we don't necessarily know about when you're outside of it, is that 
you know, there's the film festival circuit's an important process, and then yes. you, then you have to find someone who's going to distribute it yeah. or get it out there, or yeah, so we can we the public can see it. Yes, and so that's yeah. It was a strange. It's funny because uh, you know you make the film and then automatically start thinking about the next one. It's like well, you've got this film here for people to see. You made it for people to see. People took part in it because they wanted their story to be heard. Right. You say you know you're not going off to make another film. You're going to stay right here yeah. and find um, a, you know uh, people to help you um, get that film on the screen. Yeah. So that was uh, yeah. Uh, keep putting myself back all the time to you know just sit still and research and uh, let people know when it was going to be screened and keep the you know um everything up to date the website the imdb whatever it is so mm -hmm. that people um to give the film every possible chance it has to uh, to succeed and to be seen and the, so how was this film funded so the film the bulk of the film was funded by literally by me working yeah. and um, uh, investing in it um and then people a lot of people the team worked on it uh, for deferred payments or for expenses or whatever mm -hmm. you know, they needed or wanted at the time um and some people put in money um towards the music licensing via uh, in a campaign, Indiegogo campaign. Okay. Um, and that's another thing as well, you know, you can set off one of these campaigns and I think the music's about £35,000. Um, and, you know, you raise six over three campaigns because you didn't no idea how to do a campaign. <laughs> so I start to learn how to do a campaign. But it, the thing is, the time that it takes up to do it, and then, and then people put, you know, money in and, and I, I just sort of burst into tears because you feel so, so so thankful that someone's you know putting some investing in your film at this stage because the thing is um it, even though it's a lot of money you know the final budget for the film is three hundred fifty thousand pounds wow um if you count in you know, everyone's time what right. basically you know what people are will be paid or you know what has already been spent there has been a lot of um, a lot of things that kind of fell into place, and a lot of people that you know stood up to help and and make it happen and make sure that it happened, um, which has just been you know pretty amazing. So I think on terms of a personal journey, um, yeah, it's been uh, an amazing experience for me, you know, and then and also you know to be able to, to go to the cinema. Um, to you know the New Orleans Film Festival and watch the film sit next to my dad and watch the film on a giant screen, <laughs> um, you know, the room full of people was just uh, was just lovely. Um, Given how long the project has been, what kept, what's 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 kept you going? The stories that the musicians tell are really important and. Um, I felt like, you know, they were relying on us to, to tell this story, you know. Right. That was the that was the deal. You know, if if you open up and tell us your story, we'll make sure that it's heard. Um 
you know, on a, on a personal level, and also, you know, the clinic as well. It's just like, actually, people, if people can see what can be done, um, it, something, you know, if something's approached in a, in a different way or a new way, and the mm. clinic's existed for a long time, um, and after Katrina, obviously, it was, like, pivotal uh, in the music scene. Um, so I think the film, the people in the film are so inspiring. Mm. And I think, you know, even the musicians, when they tell you, you know, things that they do, which they know they shouldn't for their health or whatever, you know, you've, it's just, um, you, I don't think you can help, well, I can't help but be moved even when I watch a film. Mm. What are the messages that you got as you were growing up that helped define you to, to be someone who, in your adult life, takes on something so you're fulfilling the vision that you had for yourself, takes on this mammoth task, because it is mammoth, over a number of years, keeps going? Well, um, I think there were a few things. Um... I was uh, I was brought up by my mother with my sister, my younger sister, and uh, she had my mum had a lot of different friends and um, quite artistic friends, and um, I think I said I would say every now and again, you know, I want to be an artist, and it would be like oh, and not from my mother actually, but from other people or teachers, you know, oh you don't earn money from art, and then, oh you know you're a bit old to learn the piano. Um, my mum bought me a piano at 13 and my teacher soon told me that, you know. And um, um, so and there were various things that I had tried. And I think um, when I sort of fell upon photography and filmmaking, there was nothing in the way. Everyone seemed to be sort of think that was a good idea. And I, um, my background, even, you know, obviously I had pursued art and I had been in the youth theatre and loved that um, and that was it acting I was told that no one there weren't any parts of people who looked like me no. <laughs> and I mean I know you know it's me who probably made the final choice to not pursue those things but at the same time um, I think you know as a parent you you kind of want to leave let your child you know explore more certainly these days and I think you know my mother probably would have wanted that as well anyway I went to film school an interview and I actually was um accepted interview so I think um I was always um sort of directing little plays at home with my sister and friends and things like that so there was obviously some part of me that enjoyed storytelling and I loved reading right. so um and then I think also because I had quite a varied my 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 father was in New Orleans and so I had a whole American side of the family and we used to go there for summer holidays and I had my uncle in France and uh, family in Australia so we were, we we did sort of travel and visit quite a lot especially my sister and I during summer holidays right. and I think um, and then also my schools were all quite varied I went to private school and I went to um, sort of set comprehensive as well and another private school after that so I think I was just used to mixing with lots of different people and um was quite sort of fascinated by it and also I think that made me sort of um find it easy to get on with all different kinds of people right. and I've always enjoyed listening to people's stories so something within that um led me I think to to where I am 
how did you marry the two between like the culture you're growing up in the UK and then visiting your dad in the US? How did that kind of those two cultures influence um, you? Do you think? Well, I think obviously the music um, and the home life and the different you know really our family here is pretty much Irish. Um, back, you know, Irish descent. So my grandma's really Irish. She kept her accent, even though she was here from 16 <laughs> years old. And, and this, I mean, there's hundreds of us. I've got like 200 cousins or something. There's just loads of us. And so I think um, that's very, you know, Caucasian side, I suppose. And then um, America, very sort of, you know, black side mm -hmm. um, to our family. And I think it was being something interesting about, you know, being different in both places if you like um and it not it, i don't remember it particularly mattering i just remember that it was i think that was something that actually i got from the film um when i started making one note at a time it was really wonderful to be immersed in the african-american side of who i am yeah and i think that was part of the journey and you know actually just enjoying um exploring that within the context of making a difference to the people we were making the film about mm. and to the New Orleans Musicians Clinic. What did you discover about yourself in that? In um, making the film over in America? Yeah. Um, I think I discovered that I, well, because I had no plans of actually making documentaries myself um I wanted to make dramas and you know still would like to make some dramas and children's um for children's films and so I think it was a bit of a surprise that I would go along to interview people and actually find it quite easy in terms of you know asking the questions and what I wanted to ask and them being very open to discuss their lives and all of that and obviously I've been looking at footage for years um so I think that was that I enjoyed that that people mm. seemed to like discussing things with me and seemed to be quite happy and relaxed in front of me um you know recording them so I think that was really good I think also what I discovered was um doesn't particularly necessarily pertain to only being to being filmed in America but um what I noticed was that ability I had to create teams around anything that I was doing um and it really came to the fore there because you know to make a film of that magnitude you you can't do it on your own you need a lot of support yes and um I think what I realized was you if you want to make a film and and um there's something about that film which touches people the subject matter and also your passion for it mm -hmm. then others will join in so um that was fantastic it was never it was just okay. I almost felt like I just spoke um, about something that was required, and the next thing I knew, it was there. Right. So that, that was fantastic. Um, yeah. There's something, Matt. You know, I always, I one of the things I say about when we're committed to something and we we're, we're taking actions in the thing that we're passionate about and we're committed to, there is some magic that starts to happen. You know, as you say, like you say something, and then it, before you know it, it's like, oh, I could really do with someone on my team who does blah and then you get a call or you get an email and you think hold on a minute <laughs> what was yeah. that yeah there was a lot of that where the film you're given 
if you give it the opportunity, I think a project can snowball on its own. And there was a point when the film had its own energy. Yes. And I was almost sort of being like, not sort of taken along, swept along with it. Right. Um, and I think it's like that now, actually. The film has its own um, identity and its own everything. And that's because it's the sum of lots of people's energy and lots of people's um, commitment. I don't think I realised that that film was such a large undertaking when I started it. Okay. I think it dawned on me after a couple of years what what we'd taken on. Right. Because um, I physically remember sitting on a bed in New Orleans in the French Quarter um, and I, I remember lying down on the bed. Like, it was just like the weight of the film just sort of, oh, just oh, suddenly occurred to me. <laughs> and I just lay down on the bed and I just sort of thought about it for a minute and I thought, oh, we're we recording. Um, a moment in history and this legendary, you know, of this legendary music. Mm. Um, and I don't think before that I'd quite, I'd quite got what we were, what we were, what we were doing. Mm. I think what I tend to do is if I, if there's something that I want to do, um, if there's a film I want to make or a project that I want to do I tend to just get on with it and think oh we'll work out how to do it right I'll work out how to do it I'll keep asking people till I find out how to do it so it's always going to happen it's just the it's just and not getting bogged down with the how but just finding out how along the way right um and I think realizing that there are people that um, like doing things that, or like doing things that you know I might not like doing, or um, are good at doing those things, or can help do those things, or tell me how to do those things, and all of that. Rather than actually, I think when I was younger, I might try and learn how to do everything. Okay. To do. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then at some point, I realised that that wasn't necessary. You know. It was, Everybody, lots of different people, and we can all do different things. And um, as long as you're clear about what it is you are doing, um, then if people want to join in and do it with you, they will. People will want to do it with you, want to make those dreams come true with you. I love that you talk about creating community because um, there's a lot of people who are who have who think they have to do it all on their own, and it's and it makes it much harder work, you know. And um, and there's something about really understanding. You said people get inspired by the vision that you have, and they want to be involved. Like there's a there's there's a pull for them just as well. There's a pull for you. And the other thing um, that came to mind when you were saying that really recognizing that people who have all various skills, and we can't learn everything. <laughs> to do everything in particular on some of the bigger projects that we want to cause for ourselves and it reminds me I was talking to my friend a couple of years ago and um, she said to me you know I was, like, I was when I when I first started to think about she's got drive it wasn't called that at the time but originally I was going to do a vlog and it was going to be I was going to film the interviews and all of that and um, and I started and I thought oh, I'll learn to edit and I'll learn to do this and I'll learn to film and I'll and um, she said, you know, if it's not your genius, it's not your job. I was like, 
okay. It was like a light bulb moment. And I thought, I don't have to do everything. I don't have to, I, I can't learn to edit at the quality that I want to. That's why I've got a producer for this, you know, who's a trained editor, you know, who that's her job, you know, otherwise it's never going to be the quality I want. And I'm going to spend my time doing something that I have no business doing. And then there's other things where I can learn. And I think it's important for me to learn that skill and develop that skill. But then I've got, then you create team and it's a whole different experience. There's so much in what you've just said. I think, yeah, you can allow other people, you want to let other people shine at what they do. Also, you know, I think we think that there's a certain way to do things. And if you're not doing them in that way, then, well, I don't know so what people think, but I, I mean, I certainly thought that, um, you know, I think possibly paid the price for wanting to do the film in a certain way. Mm. I mean, literally as well. <laughs> <laughs> literally paid. <laughs> um, you know, because getting to a certain stage, you're like, well, we may as well finish it ourselves. You know, we'll spend time trying to raise money to go out and do more filming and then be told that it, we've got to have a narrator or, uh, you know, things that or archive, you know, more archive in the film. I wanted the film to have a feeling of, we were being told stories by people, not that we were looking at, you know, a lot of Katrina archive and right. to remind us of what happened. I mean, um, not that it couldn't have been a good film with that. It was just staying true to what, you what I felt that I wanted the film to be. That was all. So can we talk about the fact that, um, you know, as a, as a black woman who's a director, editor, editor like Panorama, something like that for many years, you know, it's still very rare to come across women like you. What is it? Why is, I mean, we know there's some challenges in the, in the industry, but what is it about you that's had you been able to carve out a career, a successful career and make your own film? It's so big. I can't, you know, make fund your own film. And they're not just a, an acclaimed film, you know, so it's, what is it about you? What, what have you been doing that other people aren't doing or haven't been able to do to be where you are? I think in the edit suite, um, obviously, work, I think for years, um, I've worked incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, you know, you, I know you need to be given the opportunities in the first place. Um, and I think I was, I am, you know, I wanted each show to be perfect, you know, and and also to reflect, you're reflecting someone else's film, someone else's vision for their film. And you've also fitting, you're also delivering um, something, you know, within the context of a series that's, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's got to be certain, done in a certain way. And um, so it's like, how do you take something that's there and then also, you know, lift it beyond what everyone's expecting, so okay. that suddenly, so they're surprised. So you've you've stayed within their criteria, but you've also want to surprise them as well. It's like, well, I've also, you know, I've, I'm, I'm, want to take this, you know, I get it, and I want to, or at least I think I do, yeah. and I want to bring something else to it, right? That makes you go, ooh, you know, when you're watching it, that you. That, that it's just got something 
something else. So it's beyond people's expectations. Yeah, yeah, I think that's key. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, why do they want you? They, they want you because you bring you to. <laughs> but they want, you know, you for, for them to want you there, then you have to bring something else. And I think um, something extra. At the moment, I'm writing a novel, mm-hmm. which I is for children. Um, I made some books, I created some books uh, years ago for children um, about these dragons that bring back your dream, your forgotten dreams to you. And I, I published two of the books for toddlers and mm-hmm. I've seen many toddlers that absolutely love those books. Mm-hmm. And I put that aside for one note at a time mm-hmm. and I've come back to it. Um, at the same time we were of researching that in 2007 I was actually writing a novel because some people have said to me um, oh why don't you write a novel based on the backstory of the dragons you know how did they get to be bringing dreams back to people <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was like oh yeah that's a good idea so, <laughs> so I started writing this novel over about three years and uh, whilst you know the, working on the film um, this is sort of you know, I'd get up in the morning and just write. It's, I really enjoyed it, actually. And I got to the end of, a, you know, this draft six or something, and then um, started doing a lot of serious filming for one note at a time and just put it aside, really. And then I got it out last year. Um, I'm trying to think right now, was it last year or the year before? Um, I think it's 2016. Got it out again. Um whilst the film was being graded, beautifully graded by um by Boyd, I um thought, well, what can I do? And I got that book out and I started reading it and and tweaking it um and got really excited by it again. And I thought it was gonna be like months. It took me about two weeks to just uh, do another draft of it. And it really fell to bits around sort of towards the end because obviously I just stopped it in the middle towards as I hadn't got to the end of the last draft kind of thing um anyway so I'm finishing that and I'd love that to be a a feature film and in particular a theatre production a feature film and a theatre production now that is a massive thing an animated film um and you know I that I'd I'd only just be involved in that if that happens. Right. <laughs> but, but the thought of it being an animated film just really inspires me. And yeah. it sounds like as well that you so that you have a vision and you kind of you get you get sparked and compelled and you just get on with it, you know. And you find and 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 you're content with or okay with maybe not content. Sounds like you're certainly you're okay with pausing on a project focusing on another project and furthering the other project pausing coming back to it and I think oftentimes we think that we have to start and keep going on one thing until it's finished and then we can't focus on anything else but it's really I'm actually inspired by that notion of oh I don't have to the fact that I've moved on to this doesn't mean that the thing that I've parked that I won't come back to yeah but you can come back to it and then further that and then it moves it moves and gets its own a momentum maybe on that project and then it keeps moving and then maybe it pauses or yeah I think sometimes 
you know, we have ideas. I certainly have kind of ideas that I've let, I have let them go. Um, sometimes you have an idea and then you haven't done anything about it and in a couple of years later you see it on TV anyway. That's right. <laughs> that's, <laughs> like, right. that's my idea. Did I send that in? You know, you may have sent it in, you may not have sent it in. It's irrelevant it because you didn't stick with it. Right, right. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, I think... Um, well, that's one of the key differences, isn't it? Between, you know, there's no shortage of ideas in the world. Is that you know? It says, are you gonna? Are you the one who brings it to fruition, whatever that idea is? You know, are you the one who brings it to reality, or is it someone else who's going to be doing that? Mm. And sometimes when something's super successful, you wish that you were the one. What would you tell your younger self, the younger Renee, given who you are today and what you know now? I would tell myself to share my ideas with the people around me that I'm working with mm. so rather than thinking um oh you know when I finish this I'll do that or when I leave here I'll do that actually the people are already probably around me who will do that with me mm-hmm. um for ex- instance actually um the children's brand and the vision I have for making media for children now um I had that when I was working in my first job with the making film corporate films. Wow. And I could have shared that with my boss at the time and we maybe could have done that then. You know, and I, here we are thirty years later and I'm doing it now. So um I think yeah, definitely sharing your ideas with the people around you mm-hmm. uh for yourself um or, you know, what it is that you want to accomplish or do. However, I do believe that you can have it all. Mm. You know, I think if you haven't got it all, then um, you know, keep going for it. Right. <laughs> because I believe that I believe that you can have it all, and you know, I haven't got it all, but I believe that I can have it all, <laughs> <laughs> and I will keep going, <laughs> and I'll let you know when I have. <laughs> So the yeah, the belief in it that you keep pursuing the things that you want in life and you don't stop yourself when you think that it's not possible to have it all. So someone can't watch your film yet, but if they wanted to track <laughs> track what's happening with your film or with you, how would they do that? How would they find out what's or, or be in contact with you or follow you? Um, well, yeah, I'm happy for anyone to contact me. And um, there's a website for the film, which is onenoteatatime.com. Um, there's Twitter, which is One Note Film, Instagram, uh, One Note Film, um, and I'm on Facebook, Renee Edwards, and um, yeah, more than happy to work with anyone. Okay, great. And have you got a website, Renee Edwards? No, no. Okay, but they can send you a message through One One Note Film. Yes, on they can. Yeah. Okay, cool. And I'll just put some of those links in the show notes as well. They can link. Yeah, thank you. to find you and be in contact with you. Yeah. Thank you so much for being a guest. It's been, there's so much that goes into your work and I'm just so impressed by the level of commitment. That's, it's really striking me to stay true to that project over that amount of years and to fund it yourself, to cause it and then stay focused to keep going to make sure it still gets out there but it's just just, this is like so impactful for me 
that what it takes to just keep going and to trust that you're on the path to to completion you know like to keep trusting that i think it's just amazing oh, thank you <laughs> thank you for the acknowledgement and uh and for taking the time to talk to me about it you're welcome i'm looking forward to watching the film 2018 yeah. <laughs> i hope that you've been inspired to shift gears in your own life one of the things that i really enjoyed about my time with renee was really listening to and understanding what it takes to create and cause a project or a passion project over a long period of time and staying true to that emerging vision that you have for yourself the patience and the trust in yourself and in others when you're working on a project for 10 years and it's so wonderful that it's getting the acknowledgement that it's getting um but to see all that it's taken for her from herself and from really causing a team that's gonna that works together to um produce this 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 fabulous piece of work that really reflects the needs of some people um in new orleans and and the other thing that i loved was that when renee talks about one one of the things that kept her going is her promise the promise that she made not just to herself but the promise that she made to the people who were in the film that was the exchange we'll get your story out here if you give us if you share your story with us and so there's lots of integrity in, in that um in that so when we live in our when we're standing in our truth we're standing in integrity you know what what can emerge out of that is what i'm struck by you know i love to hear from you let me know what you are taking away from this episode of um, She's Got Drive, listening to Renee and this, this 10-year project and, and all the twists and turns for her as she into where she is today. And remember, you can always get in contact with me. You can head over to my Instagram um, page and send me a message via Instagram at Shirley McAlpine. There's the She's Got Drive Facebook page that you can... Um, put stuff up there send messages to me there or you can join remember join the community on the She's Got Drive um, closed group um, as well and there's always my website ShirleyMcAlpine.com She's Got Drive is produced by Cassandra Voltolina the music is by the awesome female band Blonde until next time go well and stay well